We're very thankful for Audioverse. How many of you have heard of Audioverse.org? You can plug your little headphones into your telephone when you're walking and listen to a sermon. And it takes three miles to listen to one sermon if you're walking briskly. My name is Vicki Griffin, and I'm the Health Ministries Director of the Michigan Conference. And it is an absolute thrill and joy to see you all here today. All right, let's uh, bow our heads and have a prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this time that we can spend together. How grateful we are for the loud clarion call of the everlasting gospel with all of its particulars. Lord, this is a vivifying, encouraging, and hopeful truth. And I just pray that you would come and be our teacher today and implant your spirit and help us to understand our mission according to your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we begin today, I just want to uh, open up with a thought from the Word of God. Uh, one of the stories that I love in the Bible, and I'm sure that you do, it's a favorite of mine, and I'm sure that you are well familiar with it. We're not going to turn to it today because we have a lot of information to go through. It's the story of Jesus raising Lazarus. And we've heard many sermons about this, all the amazing points how Jesus purposely delayed and there was enormous grief in this home at the death of Lazarus and, and all that was going on. And I want to fast forward us to the, toward the end of that story when Jesus arrived at the tomb, he was about to perform the greatest, most public miracle of his ministry, very public spectacle. And yet it was surrounded by work from his disciples. He did not say at that juncture, as he stood before that great rock, he did not say, is there an Arnold Schwarzenegger in the crowd? Or is there an engineer with a lever? Uh, to move that rock. What did he say? He said, roll away the stone. So it was up to the disciples, just normal flesh and blood human beings like you and me, to get together as a team and move the stone to prepare the way for Jesus to work his greatest miracle. And then who came out of the grave? Lazarus comes out of the grave. He's been resurrected, but he's completely bound in what? Grave clothes. He's wrapped in grave clothes. Now, if Jesus can raise the dead, certainly he can remove the remnants of death off of this man, but he does not do so. He again turns to his disciples and they participate in this work of liberating this man. He looks at them and he says, take away the grave clothes. And when we come to Jesus Christ, when someone joins us as part of our family, it is our sacred commission to help each other to remove the remnants of death through hope and through encouragement. And so what if Jesus had just left Lazarus wrapped in those clothes or worked a miracle? No, the lesson wouldn't be there. But the lesson to you and I is that God loves teamwork. The Bible says that one will chase a thousand and two will put... 10,000 to flight. Amen? So it takes a lot to work as a team. It's very difficult at times. We want everything to go perfect, and it doesn't. We make mistakes. We fail. Our flaws bubble up to the surface. Uh, and yet it is there are principles of team building 
that are essential to success in this work. And that's what we're going to talk about some today. We're going to talk about leadership. My husband used to say, the reason that they call it organized crime is because it's organized. And uh, God's people, we need to get organized. Just because we have come to Christ, given our hearts to him, and have beautiful materials that are spirit-filled, doctrinally sound, Christ-like, and good with health information, doesn't mean that the angels are going to run out and pack our building full of people if we're not prepared. The Bible says, enlarge the borders of your tent. Prepare. You dig the ditches, the Lord says, and I'll fill them with water. Amen? So we're going to take a journey today on how to activate and innervate your church to win souls for Jesus Christ. It says in Judges chapter 20 that the, the Benjamites were able to, to uh, with, a, with left-handed sling work, they were able to get to the mark with their weapon within a hair's breadth left-handed slingers. And sometimes I think we get within a hair's breadth of having the success that we know that we should have. We're missing the target. We're close, but we're not there. I've had uh, for years the opportunity of working with pastors in many different conferences. I travel a lot and I'm able to work with churches and church organizations and pastors. And one of the most frequent complaints I hear from pastors uh, regarding the health work, there are several things, but one of them is, is that we pour time and people and resources and planning into doing events and they never result in baptisms. We just have this endless series of things happening and we pour money, scarce resources, and it doesn't bring souls into the baptismal tank. And we're going to take a look at some uh, principles here today. So I'm going to just get started. We're taking a look at health evangelism in a postmodern society. I learned in a very quick way what postmodernism is. I never had studied it or went to any theological seminar, did any great research to understand postmodernism, but I had a real live experience with it. I went into a store to buy some feed, and I was just so filled with uh, this love of of the lifestyle, the biblical lifestyle message that God has given. I was not raised a Seventh-day Adventist. I was beaten up as a kid a lot, a runaway. I started running away from home when I was five and got into all kinds of trouble. And so when the Lord uh, found me years later at the age of 19, and I came into the church, I, it was actually several years after that that I finally found the Lord, my husband and I, but I remember going into the feed store just so ready to witness. And I asked the man that was selling me the feed, I said, how would you like to live 14 years longer? How would you like to add 14 years to your life? And he looked at me, had a big plug of tobacco in his mouth. He had pigs in the backyard. And he said, lady, that sounds like hell to me. <laughs> and that was my first lesson in postmodernism. So let's just take a quick look and see how do we reach this postmodern society from, po from modern to postmodern. We're not going to go into all of that. We have so much to cover today. But postmodernism basically tells us, and it happened after, after the, uh, the advent of the, the, the nuclear bomb, there was this idea that rational man could solve problems, elevate humanity. But then after the bomb dropped on Hiroshima and all of these inventions don't seem to improve us, we've slipped into a postmodern era. 
the, the philosophy of postmodernism is that knowledge does not improve man. It's a rejection of cause and effect. Man defines his own truth. <clears throat> if it's right for you, it's right. <clears throat> Pardon me. There are no absolutes, and life is meaningless. <clears throat> Do you think a little of this, <clears throat> excuse me, postmodern lint has rubbed off on us as church members? Sort of a sense of hopelessness, and you try to get something going, and people say, oh, that doesn't work. Oh, nobody's going to come to these meetings. Oh, what's the use? Oh, I'm so tired after work. I just am hanging in there. <clears throat> I mean, we live in an era where people are actually paid to smile when you go to the store. They're called greeters. We never used to have people paid, a paid position just to smile and be nice. None of the other people in there may be, but at least there's one person standing at the door getting a paycheck for smiling. And so we, we are really in a stressed out society. <clears throat> I love this statement by George Hunter. <coughs> Pardon me, right into the microphone. There's so much meaninglessness and purposelessness in postmodernity, if there ever was a time for the clear purpose of the biblical worldview to be heard, it is now. If ever there was a time when we need to blend evangelism with our blessed truths, with the health message, it is now. We need to learn how to do that. We need to learn how to make calls and help people to hear the stirrings of the Holy Spirit and make decisions for Christ and make decisions for Bible studies. Today we're going to learn how we can do that. Postmodernism is not new. If you read Judges 19, it's probably one of the most graphic and terrible chapters in the Bible. It's uh, uh, full of the sorrows of departure from God as a people. And this was the concluding statement about this time in Israel's history. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, no king. And so what happened? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Our mission in a postmodern society is to reach the whole man. It's not about a list of foods. Our health meetings are not about lists. They're about saving the lost. Amen? Bigger picture, whole person ministry. And it always has to begin with hope. You know, we can have so much information for people, can't we? We give so, we're like walking infomercials. And we can just pour information into people. But that does not empower them to move forward and to get positive traction. And I'm going to tell you a startling piece of information right now, and it's one that concerns our team, and it's one that we're working on and have been working on for several years, <clears throat> and that is this. When I started doing programs for bariatric organizations, the folks who have the bypass surgeries and the gastrectomies, that type of thing, I learned a very, uh, a very startling piece of information at one of the scientific seminars that I was asked to present at on lifestyle. There were two things that I learned when I, when I participated in this function. Number one, I learned that bariatric surgery overall is more successful in beating lifestyle diseases than lifestyle programs. Now, should that be the case? Now, 55% of bariatric patients who go through bariatric surgery are going to gain their weight back. 
But folks who come through lifestyle programs with nutrition exercise emphasis, actually the relapse rate within 18 months, the scientists, that was the second piece of information, researchers would come to me after my presentation and ask me this very pointedly, what does your population look like in 18 months? Not six weeks right after the program or four weeks, but what do they look like in 18 months? In 18 months, 90 to 95% of those people have relapsed and they're gone and we've lost them. And it should not be. Amen? So we began to look at the pieces as to how to get long-term success. Mencius, the Chinese sage, said, knowledge imparts information but no power to execute. So we have to understand what are the obstacles, what is keeping us from understanding how to win these people and have them to get the long-term success, not only in their personal goals, but also to win them to Jesus Christ. And in that effort, it also takes about 18 months, and we're going to look at that. But it always begins with hope. Have you ever had information in your head and you know what you ought to do, but you have no hope, no kindle there? The Bible says a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. There are a lot of smoking flaxes who come to our meetings. A mere baby's breath would extinguish it. And sometimes I'm ashamed at the way we share the health message. We can be very austere and very statistical. And the people that are suffering are sitting in our midst and they're being shamed and this should not be. I have a personal experience with this because today would be my 34th anniversary with my husband if he were alive. He died uh, almost two years ago of a very rare and aggressive cancer. He suffered terribly with it. He was a, a wonderful, amazing, godly man. If it weren't for him, we would not have any of this. We were hired as a team, loved God with all his heart. He was an, a very, very healthy, eater. I, I, I'm the health ministries director. I fed him. He exercised every day. And I had people come to me and say things like, was he a vegan from birth? Oh, no. Oh, no. I had a lady at one of these meetings come stand in line and wait to come up to me and say, what did he do to get this? My response was, what did Job do? Were his boils due to poor hygiene? Do you think everything is based on statistics? I talked to an epidemiologist about this, and he had a grandmother who lived to be 104 years old. She grew her own tobacco, made her own corncob pipes, and smoked out of the open bowl of the pipe. <laughs> now, I'm not advocating smoking. I hope you know that. But what I am telling you is that we cannot figure everything out by logic, numbers, statistics. Really terrible things happen to amazing people. The good news is, this Sabbath, read Mark chapter 5 and the end of chapter 4. We know from the story of the Sea at Galilee, and Jesus depicts himself as not being available in these stories. He was asleep in the boat. The disciples were in grave danger. Those waves must have been 50 feet high. They were in danger. And Jesus was not there, available to them. Jesus shows us this story so that we can understand that by faith, Jesus has power over danger. By faith, the very next story that we see is that Jesus has power over devils. 
He cast the swan, the, 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 the demons that possessed the madmen of Gadara into the swine and ran them into the sea. He has power over devils. He has power over disease. The woman with the issue of blood was, was healed while he was on his way to per, perform another errand. He has power over disease, and he has power over death. That same day he raised Jairus' daughter. He has power over all these things, but you and I both know that those, that power has been subjugated right now because the prince of the power of this air is in a war with Jesus, and we're in the middle of it, and there's a lot of collateral damage. And by reasoning and emotion, we cannot figure everything out. We must be very humble. We may work with a, a diabetic who's very conscientious, somebody else who doesn't have diabetes, and they're, you know, they're, they're living on chips, chops, and lollipops. So we must be humble. And our mission is to add value to people's lives. I want to create an atmosphere in my supper clubs and my health programs so that if someone is terminally ill, if they have muscular dystrophy, whatever the case may be, I want to, I want to create an environment that they want to be with us because we're God's people. They want the comfort and nurture on their journey in the valley of the shadow of death. The index of misery is going up and not down. I wish broccoli solved everything. Some of the, some of the cures that we got in email were funny. One of them was the maple syrup baking soda cure. <laughs> I went to my husband. I said, Dane, this is cool. We're going to IHOP, get some pancakes, and we'll be done with this thing. <laughs> You know, these are like mosquitoes. These things that we get into are like mosquito bites. Not only do they insult us by sucking our blood, but they inject poison. It's one thing to withhold the sugar of the gospel, which is bad enough because a green fruit just rots. It never ripens when we withhold that sugar. But then injecting the poison of sensationalism or the spectacular instead of the Holy Spirit and a solid, sensible, basic, practical program that isn't a quick fix and doesn't heal everybody, instead of that, we have these supercilious, imaginative... You know, I remember one person prayed with me that I would find the right website so that my husband could be healed and God could be glorified. Now, what is the implication there? We're covered in shame if we don't get this man on his feet. Friends, we should be the most loving, whole person people in the world. Amen? Amen. And God will do it for us, but we've got to put hope in people's hearts. Hope in our habits. The Bible says that Jesus is able to subdue all things to himself. Amen? Hope in our hindrances. This is all from Philippians chapter 4. You can read Philippians chapter 4 and you will get all of these. The Bible says that in our hindrances, Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I strain with every nerve, every reflex, every thought to the mark of the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ. And he tells us what it is. 
he wants to attain to the resurrection. That is the most amazing thing. Jesus was always trying to, to attract the people away from the temporal to the eternal. He said to the woman at the well, this water you're drinking, you're going to thirst again. But I am the water. I have water that will spring up into everlasting life. To the, to the patriarchs, to the Jewish leaders, he said, you got your miracle. Your fathers ate manna, but they're dead. I am the bread of life. We do an injustice to people when we limit the wellness message to just eating or exercising. We must deal with the whole person. I know that you're with me on this. Amen? Amen. Help in our heartaches. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and thanksgiving, make your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will fill your hearts and minds. That kind of peace I want for the people who come to my meetings to get. They can get 40 pages on dietary fiber off the internet. But I've got to create an environment that will make them want to come and be with me and be with God's people. The health consequences of social isolation are equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day, worse than obesity and diabetes. I want those people. You know, I'll admit, I'm a type A, choleric kind of, you know, here are the facts, now go do it type of person. I'm really thankful that God has put Evelyn in my life, our clinical dietitian. She practically glows in the dark. She's so friendly and loves people. I've seen her get total strangers to eat Brussels sprouts. I mean, the woman is amazing. <laughs> and I am so grateful for observing the way she just connects with people. And the way I used to work was, you know, here's the list. Let's fix you. Have prayer. And then we're just, you know, anything more than that's kind of a nuisance. I have research to do. <laughs> Books to write. Magazines to publish. Now, here's the list now. Go do it. But that's not the way Jesus worked. He was always being interrupted. And a pastor told me, I went to Guam to do evangelism. I just got back a couple of weeks ago. My first ever reaping prophecy series. I was petrified. I had a migraine every day. I thought I was going to die. But anyway, I learned a lot. And nine decisions for baptism, a dozen Bible study requests in a Catholic community. Praise God. Oh, I was so sick. It was so scary. Um, but anyway, I, I learned from this pastor that never should a human being feel like you're rushed when they are talking to you. That's the number one rule of pastoring. And hope for heaven. The Bible says that our citizenship is there. It's in heaven. The Savior went from house to house, healing the sick, comforting mourners, and soothing the afflicted, speaking peace to the disconsolate. You see, every one of these powers that our omniscient God has here has been interrupted. His power over danger, his power over devils, his power over disease, his power over um, death. People die. People die of disease. People struggle with problems. Uh, and, and they succumb to real danger. I mean, there are half a million little Indian girls who are sold into the sex, sex trade every year. So this, this is a dangerous world. And, and so God's beautiful character, 
The Bible reveals his plan, but when people come to your meetings and they're sick and they're not getting better and they're not going to get better, we're going to have to be able to understand and explain why Jesus made it happen. I mean, Lazarus, it was just a couple of days, and they saw their brother again. The disciples had Jesus in the boat. They woke him up. The... uh, So the lady touched the hem of Jesus' garment and she was healed. But we don't see, we're not going to see that in every case, are we? Do we want to reduce risk? Can we dramatically reduce the risk for disease and unnecessary suffering in this world? Absolutely. But we have to understand that sin and the devil have interrupted God's beautiful picture. So he presents to himself, to us, a beautiful picture of himself. So when people call me on the phone and say, well, what about the promise, Vicki, that the Lord will put none of those evil diseases upon you? Then what happened? What happened to your husband then? I mean, the call. And I, I mean, sometimes I just have to go home. I, I, told, I told the Lord, I said, I, I want to stock shelves at Walmart. I'm done. Man, I know how to eat walnuts and berries and walk. So I'm done. I'm just through with this thing. And I asked him to release me because it was so painful. But then I thought, you know, their shoes didn't wear out either. either. And the average American woman buys a new pair of shoes every three months. (laughs) The Savior went from house to house, healing the sick, comforting the mourners, soothing the afflicted, speaking peace to the disconsolate. He took the little children in his arms and he blessed them and spoke words of hope and comfort to weary mothers. With unfailing tenderness and gentleness, he met every form of human woe and affliction. It was his meat and drink to bring what? Hope to all with whom he came in contact. This is our method of laboring. And we want to bring biblical principles of whole person well ministry into everyone's lives. Because there are principles in the Bible. The Bible says righteousness tends to life. Amen? So there are principles of stewardship. There are principles of relationships. There are principles of thinking. 60% of what we think is automatic. How many of you would like to think better than you do? There are ways that we need to learn to practice to think better. Paul said, those things which you've seen and heard and learned of me, do, and the God of peace will be with you. There's an old Lakota Indian saying, it says, when your horse is dead, it's time to dismount. So, you know, the Bible is all about change up, isn't it? It's such a cool thing, but we've got to have a learning mindset. We've got to have the attitude of a learner because when you have the attitude of a learner, you won't be defeated when your mistakes are revealed to you. You won't quit the minute there's a problem. When we produced our first book, Simple Solutions, Diet and Stress is What You're Eating, Eating You, I was so happy to give back to God for saving me and giving me this this life that measures with the life of God. And just, I was so grateful, and I just wanted to do this for God. And Dane and I were hired as a team for the Michigan Conference, full of zeal and passion for the Lord's work. And of course, the Lord wasn't going to let us make any mistakes, because that would mar his work. So we put this book together, printed 20,000 copies, and there was an 800 number in three spots in the book. And we could, somehow we, we, we bought this number, we thought we had bought it, and we couldn't get through, but it was time to go to press, so we did. We made the decision. 
Well, the day that 20,000 books came off the press with 60,000 phone numbers in those books, we finally got through of that 800 number. And it was a, a tobacco specialty company. And when I realized what I had done, I, I was laying in bed, I opened my eyes, and I said, God, this would be a really, really great day to be hit by a train. I, you know, that would be okay. Or to get shot. Or even a heart attack. Anything but to show up at work. I didn't even have a runny nose. I mean, I had no way out. I had to go tell my boss. And I did. And I was prepared to be fired and leave and go work at Rite Aid or something or whatever. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he was so gracious, Jay Gallimore. He just, <gasps> I saw him, you know, he <gasps> took a little breath, blinked. And uh, then he prayed real quick, I guess. <clears throat> and he said, well, this is, a, this is a good lesson. Next time, we need to check those phone numbers before we go to press. <laughs> yes, I'm, no. yes, Jay, yes, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and do you think we checked those? I'm compulsive about those phone numbers now. <laughs> so wholeness means an attitude of a learner. And learning means you're going to make mistakes. It means you're going to be wiped out, just like when those strong riptides come and they pull the ocean way, way back. But when you reassemble yourself after you've learned your lesson, it comes back with a roar. And that's God's plan, that we learn from our mistakes. Amen? Wholeness in a person. The, the key ingredients for long-term success, longer than 18 months, is creating a lifestyle. Creating a lifestyle creating an environment, both internally, how we think. That needs to be retooled. And externally, what do we have in our environment that calls us in a direction? And by the way, this PowerPoint program, if, if somebody wants to bring a thumb drive up and get it, then you can share it with anybody else. I, this is not a copyrighted program. It's my personal one, and I'm happy to share it with you. Creating connections with God and with each other and managing stress. We do not do a, a seminar on any topic without beginning with an understanding of stress because, and how to control it, and how to modulate the stress response, and how nutrition and lifestyle affect uh, the brain. The battle is not for the bulge, it's for the brain. It's not about weight control, Amen. it's about appetite control, and that's a brain thing. We want to teach people to fight with every tool in the box, but the battle is here. And there are very real changes that take place in the brain when we think differently, when we live differently. And we want people to pay attention to those changes. Uh, when the Bible says the Father's name is written in our foreheads, the brain scans are going to look different. <laughs> because what you do is embossed upon your material self. And that's good news. And if that wasn't the case, we might as well all give it up and go to Dunkin' Donuts or Pizza Hut or something. So creating that environment, so very, very important. This is the story of Jerry, and I'm going to tell it quickly. Uh, but he's an amazing guy. I never, I never met him until uh, the last North American Division Health Summit. He called me from Canada, and he said, I want to come and share my testimony in your class. I was teaching a 15-hour class, and I, you know, what do you say when a stranger calls you on the phone and says they want to come and share? Oh, well, we'll just enjoy getting acquainted when you show up. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know. But anyway, he told me a little bit of his story, and really, it was probably the most valuable half an hour of the entire 15. He uh, was uh, uh, raised 
in an Adventist home. He had a lot of challenges in that particular home. One of his parents wasn't a believer. It was a very abusive home. <clears throat> and he got into a life of crime as a child. He ended up leaving and uh, getting into a life of drugs and alcohol, pornography. He was very brilliant. He designed software programs, and he was a, an elite masseuse for athletes. He became a male model. He was a partier, making a lot of money. He had all kinds of addictions. He went to Ken Corkum, the uh, president of, the, of a conference up there in Canada. I, I don't remember which place in Canada. Wonderful, godly man. And he told Ken... He said, I want to come back to God, and I just don't even know where to begin. My life is in a shambles. So Ken Corkum gave him this box. This, this is a six-session seminar called Living Free, Finding Freedom from Habits That Hurt. It's not meant to be used the way that Jerry did it, but he handed him this box, and he said, if you do what's in this box, you'll be free. And, of course, he prayed with him. So this is actually a six-session program with DVDs and handouts and reading material and a beautiful book with uh, question and answers at the back of each chapter. But Jerry went through that, and he got free, and he started doing a ministry using just the Living Free program. He met a fellow named Roger. Roger is in the blue shirt there. He's also working with this man. But Roger was an, a Royal Air Force pilot who fell into depression and hard times, and this is what his house looked like. Those are gin bottles. And, and um, Jerry asked Roger if he would like to be free. And he said, yes, I would. And he said, well, I'm going to bring this box over, and, <laughs> and we're going we're to do what's in this box. I'll do this box with you, and you'll be free. And so they did. They would watch the little segments, do the chapters. They'd put it on pause, pray. Uh, Roger would, would throw out the drugs or the alcohol or whatever it was, the cigarettes. They started cleaning up the apartment. This is what his kitchen looked like. It was just pitiful. So they started cleaning, and they started going through the program. And there's the box right there. Went through all their media. This is Evelyn, our dietitian, telling you who are watching her that you should have three to five grams of dietary fiber in your cereal. So they pushed the pause button. He went and got the boxes of cereal out. He said, no, nope, no special K, no cornflakes. We're going to hang on to the grape nuts. We want the shredded wheat. And they just, step by step, they did the whole thing. There's that box again in the corner right there. <clears throat> they went through the book. This was the lesson on creating an environment that calls you in a positive direction. He didn't have a pretty ceramic bowl like I do. But this was what he had. He had a little Tupperware dish. He put some apples in it. Look at his environment now. Beautiful table set with flowers. It's cleaned up. His kitchen's beautiful. And he looks like a happy and blessed man. He started uh, going to Bible studies. <clears throat> and Jerry is now working full-time doing just this program with those who are down and out. So I praise God for that. Now, this was interesting. They had a prayer at the end of a number of months Roger needed a job. This is the cab that he used to hire to go to the liquor stores to get his gin. He is now the driver of that cab. Isn't God good? So this tells us that we are engineered for success. Amen? God has designed you and I, whether our problems come from choice, chance, or circumstance, he has, 
He has engineered us for moving forward and for healing. He's made every human being to be able to go forward. So whether it's a genetic liability and tendency, whether it's the environment that you were raised in, however rough and terrible, uh, and the first environment is the womb, and there are tremendous changes that occur in the likelihood of disease as a result to the influences in the womb, or whether it's by the stupid choices that we've made in life. God is in the remodeling business, amen? He's de designed us for renewal, recovery, and restoration. And he has a peace plan. And I believe that every one of our programs needs all of these pieces. And we're putting a clinical program together now that is going to be a reaping series that includes spiritual principles that secure peace, lifestyle principles that promote peace, attitudes to practice that actually produce peace. They're called peptides. Your body, the, the, your GI tract, the respiratory cells, and the mobile cells of the immune system, all of them make, store, and secrete all 50 of the neuromodulators that the brain produces that are implicated in mood, memory, learning, and behavior. So when you treat your body well, these messengers of well-being are sent to your brain. And when you think in a certain way, when you change your habits of thinking, it affects all of those areas of your body, your immune system, your respiratory system, and your GI tract. 95% of the serotonin that we produce is uh, in the GI tract, not in the brain. Isn't it wonderful the way God has connected the brain and body so that we can move forward? Amen? Amen. And he's given us faith that preserves peace. Faith is, is trusting in advance what we're only going to understand in reverse. At the emotional feeling level and even at the, at the level of logic and research, I cannot have peace regarding my husband's death. He was a firebrand for the Lord. But by faith, because I know that God is who he says he is, that is my landing place. My intellect cannot find this thing out. I can't deal with it on those levels in a healing sense. But by faith, God is who he says he is. The Bible says you will mount up with wings. When you wait upon the Lord, you will mount up with wings as eagles. We love that ecstasy and freedom in the Lord's work. We will run and not be weary. We, will, we love to run about the Lord's work. But he also says we will walk and not faint. When all you can do is inch forward on your knees, not feeling or understanding what's going on, that may indeed be the greatest, the greatest place of God's presence even though it doesn't feel like it. But if our expectation is exuberance, total healing, the, the flight of happy feelings in our experience, we are going to be disappointed because the index of misery is going to go up and not down. It's going to touch us, not just others. Amen? Yeah. Jesus has said, you are the light of the world. But we are to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. This is a great commission. It's daunting. It's terrifying. And it's the first reason why people say no when you ask them to be a part of your program. This is too scary. It's too much. And yeah, it's true. It is too much for one person. But as we press together, we can do mighty things for the Lord. Amen? Amen. He loves to work in the humble Petri dish of a group 
activity because in order to be able to work effectively, we have to humble ourselves if we're going to work together. We have to be willing to learn lessons. It is time for us to leave the ranks of the concerned and join the committed. That means you're committed to a cause that is bigger than yourself. It's daunting. It's terrifying. But with God and with others, it says we will run through a troop. We will run through. I can go to a cocktail party and talk about how bad the world is. There is no righteousness in that. But being committed to a cause that's hard, that's going to reveal my flaws and embarrass me, and I have to work with other people's flaws, this is the way that God's people grow. The church is God's gem polisher. And he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, especially as you see that day coming, because we need to get the, that rough stuff rubbed off of us, don't we? And that's the way it happens. I tell you, in putting together supper clubs and leading out in three teams, the biggest problem I have is everybody, whenever a problem comes up, they're going to quit. Somebody didn't look at me right. You know, or they brought a celery dish instead of the mixed vegetable dish. They said, there, I quit. I'm done with this. And it's especially women. I just, I'm sorry. I don't know why. She looked at me funny. I'm done. <laughs> so we just need to learn how to train people so that they expect challenges. The Bible says, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. And that actually means to carry their troublesome moral faults. Carry them. It's a sacred trust because that's their weak spot that the devil's going to attack. And we need to pray for our brothers and sisters when we see these flaws. They see yours. Ask them to pray for you. Well, we do face a Goliath as we go about the Lord's business. And, it, and uh, David recognized both of these problems. Number one, Goliath said there was an external problem Goliath said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So a lot of boldness uh, in the community that they were the ones that had the strength and the power and the information. But David also had an internal problem in the organization that he had to face. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were what? dismayed. And if you go and look up the, the, what that word means, it means they were shattered. They were shattered and greatly afraid. And it's interesting because Saul was their leader and he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was a Benjamite. Remember those left-handed Benjamites that could get their target within a hair's breadth? And man, this man was equipped. But he didn't have hope. He didn't have courage. David faced other giants, just like you will. You know, I, I was so ignorant when, when I first started this. I, I would walk into a meeting with a, a vision and a plan that the Lord had laid on my heart, and I expected everybody to buy into it right away, rally, give me money and people immediately. <laughs> because after all, it's right. David faced other giants. He had loneliness in his decision. He had commitment. He made a commitment without evidence. Nobody had ever killed one of these giants. But he had had some practice with some other... The Lord saw the Goliath on the horizon. So he brought some trouble into David's world when he was a shepherd, didn't he? The lions and the bears. And he learned how to handle turbulence. He had criticism from within and conflict from without. 
Someone is always going to be there to tell you that it has never been done, it's never worked, you are not qualified, your motives are not right, the conditions are not right. You may recognize this picture of Roger Bannister. Does anybody know that name, Roger Bannister? Roger Bannister was the first man, a Brit, to run a mile in less than four minutes, at least recorded. This was way back in 1954, or was it 47? Anyway, a long time ago. Uh, he began running when he was 17 years old. He wanted to run a mile in less than four minutes. Now, the, the, uh, the wisdom of the day was that no human being could do this because physiologically it would, it would do something terrible to you. you. You could be just destroyed if you ran this fast. Something would come unglued and not be fixable. Roger decided he wanted to run a mile in less than four minutes, and he had many, many disappointments, many, many failures, but uh, in 1954, in a race between Cambridge University and AAA, Roger Bannister ran a mile in three minutes and 59 seconds. And the most wonderful part of this story is that within the next two years, more than 200 men ran a mile in less than four minutes. Why? Because somebody had done the impossible. Somebody had done the impossible. It takes time. But when you do the impossible, other people will be empowered to do the impossible. Amen? So David's response to discouragement is interesting. David did not say, this giant is too big to kill. He said, this giant is too big to miss. <laughs> Quitting is really not an option. You know, climbing that ladder of success and climbing that ladder of Christian growth, it may seem daunting and we may be dizzy at the heights, but falling down, going backwards, is a lot more terrible and a lot more dangerous. The devil, your adversary, is going around like a roaring lion. And when does a lion roar? When, he's, when victory is sure. So it's a presumptuous thing. <clears throat> and so we've got to catch the devil at his own game and make our decision that we are going to take some steps up Jacob's ladder. What do you say? Make have some more water, Bev. Thank you. The cost of leadership. We fail, not because of big problems, but because of small purposes. I tell you, it's time that we throw our hat over the fence. John Fitzgerald, the grandfather of John Kennedy, was a little Irish boy, and he had a little Irish knit cap. The little schoolboys all had a cap that their mothers made them. And they had one. They didn't have drawers full and closets full like we do in our day. And the, the boys in his school used to taunt and tease him. He was a little boy, short boy. And they used to taunt him to throw, to climb over uh, these wicket fences, which are made from branches, but they're very sharp on top. You can impale yourself and get hurt. And they would tease him and taunt him and dare him and challenge him. One day, John Fitzgerald got, had just had enough of it. And here's what he did. He took off his little cap and he threw it over the fence. Why do you think he did that? He was now committed. <laughs> he was committed. Because what do you do when you throw your only hat over the fence? You got to go get it. And that's exactly what he did. So it's time for us to throw our hat over the fence, get committed, and rally. We usually have to charge Goliaths by ourselves, but small successes lead to greater ones. Success for most people comes after somebody 
has done the impossible. So you have to sit down and figure out what all the objections are that are gonna come your way when you're starting to get your program together. We're gonna to talk about the guts of a program for a few minutes. And figure out ahead of time how to meet those objections, amen? That's what sales is all about. My husband used to say, the sale begins when the customer says no. That's what proves a real salesman. So leaders lead with a vision. The leader's job is to guide the vision. The leader's job is to be committed to the vision and to help others to stay committed to the vision, to have a purpose, a very specific goal with what you are planning and doing in your program. And you build a team. And actually, you, with your plan, you have a plan and you have a team. And one of my uh, background training and, and degrees is in public administration. And I used to enjoy helping to put together revitalization plans for cities that were in economic trouble. And <clears throat> one thing that we learned is that whether it's biology or buildings, we, we have better success when we have backup systems. You know, the body has backup systems, doesn't it? Insulin resistance, when insulin resistance occurs, your body has backup systems to handle the high blood sugar that is the sugar that is not getting into those cells in order to save your life. There are backup systems. There are even dopamine backup systems in the brain when you're getting over an addiction. People talk about those D2 receptors that get very depleted and there's a problem and they're dysfunctional and dysregulated, but there's D3, D4, D5, and D6 that help compensate when there's a problem. So when we're looking at an organizational model, we wanna build backup systems into the model. It is not hard. We wanna plan from day one for expansion. Are you with me? Plan, enlarge the borders of your tent. So the first thing that we did when we went <clears throat> we took a look at why these programs don't work, why people are sour and bitter, why do we have only two or three people running programs and they're just cranky. After a few years of doing everything, they're just cranky and angry and done. I remember talking to one a vacation Bible school teacher, lovely woman, a public school principal of an elementary school, and every year she'd bring several teachers to her vacation Bible school, nine or ten kids from the classroom, and I asked her, I said, so what, what hand-holding is going on in the, with other departments to help nurture your population? You're working with a population. How is this population being integrated into other programs in the church? She said, there, it's not. Now here's a woman doing a wonderful work for God, but what's happening inside of her? She's curdling, and we're losing souls that could be one for the kingdom simply because of a lack of organization, a lack of planning, a lack of foresight. So you have two or three people working on a scarcity mentality. You have departments that are not connected competing for scarce resources. People and money are scarce. 80% of our churches are less than 100 people. And so how can we create an infrastructure? Even when you look at bones, there is lattice work in the bones that keep the bones strong. We talk about building bridges, don't we? But if you ever look under a bridge, there's lattice work all underneath that bridge. So how can we create backup systems? Well, we think we ought to use the goose model. 
So in our church in Lansing, we have a quite a, a large church, so we decided to use the goose model. What you do is you, instead of having one team of a lot of people doing, doing their job every single month for a program and wearing themselves out, you divide into multiple teams. In our larger church, we planned for three teams of 10 people. And each team leader of those three teams was a couple. And so we had, you, you pick a goose for the leadership position that can handle turbulence. And then all the geese behind them are honking in affirmation. And you help the team members to learn how to honk in affirmation. But how long does that goose stay in the leadership there? He slips back, and then another goose takes the lead, right? So in, the, in, the, in planning on-ramps and in planning backup systems, let's say you have only 10 people in the church who are willing to do something. Then have two teams of five. Team one has January, team two has February, and you assist one another, but the headship and planning and leadership is, it's like a, a, a what do they do in these races? They hand off the the relay races, they hand off a baton. And we found this to be a magnificent preserving influence. And then the other thing is, we want to create on-ramps with other departments. So we would go to our vacation Bible school. We want to have a monthly program going on because how long do we have to keep people with us? At least, at least for them to see results and for us to get baptisms and for them to attain lifestyle goals. How many months? at least 18 months. So we're gonna have something going every month, once a month. It's called a low intensity, high impact paradigm. So you're not wearing yourself out and spending a fortune, but there's something that people are really looking forward to every month to come. And they use, then we use the woman at the well method where the, the woman gets excited and she goes and gets all of her friends and brings them to the meetings. And you have this expansion going on. We started with uh, no advertising, no budget, nothing. It's church members that are gonna win the people, not the program. The program is just a landing place for the work that the church members do. And so we have in-reach goals as well as outreach goals. When you have team members, they have specific goals that they are to obtain, that they are to um, accomplish within the body of Christ. How did Absalom win the hearts of, of uh, David's subjects? How did he win their hearts? He communed at the gate. He was always there talking it up and communing at the gate. So our team members, we do not refer to people as Adventists and non-Adventists. Oh, the Adventists, they should know this. And we just get this very, but I say let's minister to everybody, amen? So we have visitors and non-visitors but let's minister to them all as family. So I went to the social committee leader and I said, we would like to have you as one of our three team members. We would like to put you as a team member uh, so that once every three months, uh, you can be actively participating in this uh, event and be a part of it so that we can nurture and, and build up your population for the social committee. She said, I can't do that, I'm social committee. And I said, you know, let's, let's just look at this because 
the supper club, having a little cooking program or a health lecture once a month with a meal, that's the quintessential social event. So what you're really getting when you put your name on this list is you are getting a staff of chefs, decorators, and a health lecturer for, so, for your social event. You don't have to do a thing to get it. And you're getting advertising, and you're getting people, and you're getting names so that when you hold your social event, you have people. We did the same thing for the Vacation Bible School. When we found out they were holding a Vacation Bible School, we had uh, our magazine on children's health with an invitation to a special supper club that was all on children's healthy lunches for school. And we got that population. So what are we doing? We're building infrastructure within the body of Christ. We are linking departments. If you're doing Financial Health University, link arms with these people. It's such a blessing. It builds strength. So you have the goose method, the woman at the well plan for expansion, and you create, inf inf uh, you create lattice work with other departments. By giving us the cooperation of the holy angels, God has made it possible for our work to be a glorious success but it will seldom come with scattered effort. The united influence of all the members of the church is required. The spiritual life of the church can only be kept alive as we make personal efforts to win souls to Christ. The special work for this time must be done in reaching the people through what kind of effort? Personal effort. It is this kind of labor that will be highly successful. Now, I'm going to just share a couple of uh, thoughts here on the steps of change, and then I'm going to share with you what's on the table, and we're going to finish up in just a few minutes. But to make man whole requires that we have quality programming. We want to be credible, current, and on the cutting edge. One of the reasons, the cutting edge of science, one of the reasons that we fall into danger in some of the smaller churches is that we will grab anybody we can who has any kind of new or novel thing to share just to get people out to our, to our health event. And so it's the mosquito model, you know, where they're drawing blood and injecting some poison. So we have people doing wacky stuff, but we want to make sure that when we present a program that a specialist in the area that you are presenting will say, this is sound. These people don't have in-depth knowledge, but they've got the basics, man, and they've got the spirit. Because we, we, you know, we, we reach too low for the fruit. Ellen White says we are to not just bring consumers into the church, we want producers. And if you want to reach higher and get the fruit that's on the higher branches a little bit harder to reach, then we have to make sure that what we say is sound, sensible, evidence-based, not making sweeping generalizations or unsubstantiated claims. Uh, uh, we can bring wrongful death. All it takes is one wrongful death suit and you're finished. They'll go after the conference. So we want quality programming that's well-organized and the loving environment. We want to combine three elements in every presentation Motivation. How do we motivate people to continue to be with us, to continue to change? It's all through uh, these uh, materials. We have that motivational element with education and with inspiration. We must combine the three. Now, here are the steps of change. This is very interesting because 80% of the population does not know about what it is you're doing. They don't care and don't want to know, and they don't have a plan. 
All right, so we think that somebody's going to hear something on the radio and go, ah, this is what I've been waiting for. But 80% of the people are going to switch the station. They don't care. So what is the job of a salesman? Jesus was a master at creating interest, wasn't he? Don't we need to create interest? I'm not going to go out in the community and, and just try to pluck off the ripe fruits. I want to create interest in those who are dead. Because we were dead and not interested. Somebody came along and made you curious. Jesus was great at this. And so uh, <clears throat> that's the pre-contemplative they're unaware, or maybe they've read something about what your program is or, you know, this topic, but they're not committed. Or they, you know, they have an intention sometime in the future, but no specific goals. It's really not on their horizon. It's not a priority. Only 12% of the people in your community are actually ready for a program. They hear about a program and they want to come. So what is our job as church members? With magazines and tracts and literature, what is our job? to stimulate interest in 80% of the community that will not show up if you don't do your work. So this is the action phase. They're ready to make changes, but how long does it take even to just get settled into a new change? Six months. We let them go in six weeks. So now they have information. They've failed because it's hard to change long term. And now the next time they hear about a program, they're going to be humiliated because they have information, but they haven't changed, and they're embarrassed, so they're going to hide from you. We've got to create an atmosphere where people expect that they're going to have challenges and problems, and they're going to have failure, and we're going to tell them successful people are not mistake-free. They just refuse to give up, and we are here to be the wind beneath your wings to help add quality and vitality and life to your experience and to be friends. But don't tell people they're going to have a problem-free ride. You don't have a problem-free ride. And then maintenance is modest success after six months. Now we're getting ready. Look at Jesus. It's the model. It's the same model. First he mingled. Then he met needs. He won their confidence. This is what we need to be doing as, uh, as members of wellness teams with our own church family. And it's really wonderful because when you involve the stewardship department or the Bible school department or the Pathfinder department, when you involve them, those people who will not come out to one of your meetings, they will come because you're doing something for them. You're ministering to them. Our treasurer came to a meeting. I was just thrilled. This guy doesn't even talk to anybody. And he came. It was just thrilling. And then... He met needs, he won confidence, he taught them the truth, he was balanced and believable, and he said, follow me. It's the same pattern, it's just beautiful. Every church member should be engaged in some line of work for the master. Everyone should do his utmost to roll back the tide of disease and distress that is sweeping over our world. Many would be willing to work if they were taught how. They need to be instructed and encouraged, amen? What we have available to you, we have materials, plenty of materials, tracks, magazines, books, web ads, media. But what you need is team members, building redundancy and backup systems, on-ramps for other departments to be a part. Um, also, the way we do our programming, and I'm going to finish up with this, is very important. 
Somebody will have, a church will decide to have their very first program, a, a, a living free addictions program. Now, if this is your first exposure to coming to a, a, a group of people you've never seen before in your life, would this be the topic that you would want to start with? No. You start with something general that's going to be very appealing. So we advise the Simple Solutions program. We had a nurse that in Detroit, she started with a diet and stress program. Brought a lot of people. 35 people came from the community. Then she had supper clubs once a month, an alumnus meeting for three months. Then she did a Foods for Thought program. Uh, nutrition's link with mood, memory, learning, behavior. Those people brought their friends. It was now 65. At the end of the year, we did a living free program on building a better brain, better habits, and a better life. It's more personal. It's a little bit longer in duration. It's six meetings. The others are four. And 90 people. 90 people. So the progress, you know, the bus stops all along the way. You're always going to get new people. But you want to start with a progression and a plan and work with your pastor. We went into our church with a, a shopping bag, a brown shopping bag, made two lines on it with hash marks for the months, and we integrated our programming with the Reaping and Evangelism series. And you know how you'll do cooking schools or supper clubs and then you break for the summer? Well, we sure hope to see you again in the fall. What happens? What have you just done? You have just lost everybody. So here's what we did, and it was so thrilling. I had never done a call in my entire life. I was just petrified. I try to get people real excited to eat beans. You know, don't you love beans? 16 grams of fiber. Please eat beans. And they'll do it just because they like you. They'll, they'll just, you know. But it's not an internal spirit-driven commitment. What we did is we, we broke for the summer, and we said, you know, we've been meeting together, and we want to stay in touch. We wanna, we're going to push the pause button for the summer, but we want to stay in touch with you. So I had a Bible study card on my last PowerPoint, and the pastor helped me to practice. He came to the office, and I practiced, inviting them to have Bible studies. And we got 13 Bible study requests. And uh, it was just precious. I just got back from Guam, where we did a, a Lifestyle Matters and Amazing Discoveries in Prophecy blended reaping program. It was 12 meetings, half an hour health topic, and then 45 minutes of prophecy, 70 weeks. And you know, we tied the health topic in. The third, uh, the third meeting was soluble fiber and the 70 week prophecy. And I just said, Lord, you know, how do you, how do you make a link here? And you know, the Lord gave me one. Soluble fiber creates a steady stream of blood sugar balance and nutrition, right? And God's intervening hand in time through prophecy shows his steady guidance through the ages. And every night I learned, I learned with Louis Torres, he's terrifying, just terrifying to do this. But he taught me how to do a call. It's the hardest thing ever in the entire world to do a call because we don't want to invade people. But we've got to help health guests to hear the voice of God. And he had me do a call, and I had to practice it every night, not only for the health message, but also for the spiritual one. So I'm going to give you an example. And by the way, nine decisions for baptism in a Catholic community, 12 requests for Bible studies in 12, in, in 12 days. And we ha in the Mark of the Beast night, two Catholics walked in. They both signed up for Bible studies. So it's just a lot about, and combining the health message is, if you do both of them together, it's incredible, the impact. So I'm going to show you a, call, a sample call real quick. So, because you want souls, don't you? Okay, here's the old Vicky. Don't you just love beans? Oh, 
they're just so great. I eat beans every day. You know, one cup of beans is a fabulous burrito. It's going to lower blood sugar. It's soluble fiber. It helps, you know, it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Let's all have more beans. Have you ever heard that? You want to get over your diabetes? Just eat beans. Here's the new Vicky. Tonight, your heart has been stirred as you have learned what God has provided for your health through the simple influence of beans. You've been touched, and your heart is grateful as you see that God wants you to have a quality life. If you're thankful, if you would like to express your thanks and gratitude to God tonight for this very simple way to improve your health, raise your hand, not half-masked, but all the way. Amen. So that's, the, you see the difference? Your heart has been stirred as God has spoken to you tonight. You're speaking to the one-person audience. We've got to learn how to close the deal. We're always selling, but we never close the deal. Amen? It takes me out of the picture. It's between what they're hearing and their response. And then you, have, then you have to tell them when. Tonight is your opportunity to show your gratitude and to ask God to increase your desire to live for him. If you'd like to make that decision tonight, would you stand with me for closing prayer? Okay, everybody, let's stand up and have closing prayer. <laughs> Come to our table. You have in your... Um, if you have in your bags beautiful magazines, when you combine an invitation with a beautiful magazine, you will quadruple your response rate because you have increased the perceived value of your event. Look through these beautiful magazines. Everyone gives an opportunity for a Bible study. They are lovely materials. Health tracks, we have 24 topics. And then the balanced bulletin that can be used even in a secular, a completely secular situation. And so come and visit us, learn how you can have this type of programming over time and build your church family. I hope you've been inspired today and blessed. I wish we had more time, uh, but uh, let's have closing prayer. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the methods that you have given us for soul winning. You have said there is a science and an organization to this. You have told us plainly that random efforts will not succeed. But Lord, your angels are waiting to bring light seekers to light bearers. Father, help us to reason and to organize and to plan, to learn to be encouragers and inspirers, to speak with the conviction that will stir souls and bring them to decision for you. Because you have said that this work will be highly successful and that we need not conjecture as to the results. We give our thanks and gratitude that we get to work on the sunny side of the cross to inspire and encourage church members to engage in interdepartmental coordination, to bring the body of Christ together as a family, working together for you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. 
If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.